0: No. 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 I'm tired too. I wear my smile just like you. Days come and go, but it's different. Pray when you feel no one listens. I wear my smile just like you. Roll
1: up a plane and, and welcome listen. to Uncovered Podcast. This is the exclusive with Kayla Bowers, number two. Um, I'm with, or I'm joined today by a good friend and an even more amazing coach, Mister Lamumba Shabaz. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you for coming on. It's truly an honor to be able to have you on here and just kind of pick your brain on some of the topics that we're going to cover today. Um, any way that you want to give our listeners just a quick background on you as an individual?
2: Oh well, Caleb, thank you for inviting me to uh, the Uncover Podcast. Uh as 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 you mentioned, I'm I'm also looking forward to it. Uh, but by way of uh, a background, I'm not sure exactly what to say quite honestly.
1: <laughs> Whatever you want people to know.
2: Suffice it to say, I mean, I, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. I was raised in, in New York City, New York city has been homeless so I went to school. It's where my parents lived, it's where my dad still lived and much of my family members still live there. Uh, obviously, growing up, I was, I was very much in, interested in sports, I was very good at sports, uh, but was also very interested in, in quite a lot of other things as well. I mean, New York City is is, is one of the, the great meccas of the world mm-hmm. for arts and for music and craft and things like that. So, all of those were, were things that we were, me and my siblings, were were, were very much involved in, and, and, and that's continued, obviously. Uh, I mean, I've made a life in sports and soccer in generally, but uh, I've, I've always been closely attached to arts, culture, history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's pretty much who I am still to this day.
1: Yeah. So touching on your, um, I guess, your participation in sports and obviously your passion for it. I do know that you are one of, I think it's four, right? Coaches that have the SAQ advanced license. Is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah, would, that's probably changed now, though. That's probably oh, okay. Changed. I mean, that was a while ago, but at the point at that time, I was probably one of, of, of the first, uh, might have been the first one in the country. Uh, oh, wow. uh, but definitely, I know later on, there were probably about four other practitioners, three other practitioners uh, that combined. We, we, we actually we took the course, went to the UK, took the course, and, 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 and developed – I guess, some ideas about how we wanted to, to further assist in, in training players. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's been quite a while now. I mean, that's been a long time. So I, I like <laughs> okay. to think that there many other people that, that's been, been been certified, been doing mm-hmm. great work in that field as well.
1: Do you consider that one of your, in terms of coaching, one of your biggest accolades or the <laughs> biggest accolade?
2: No, I, I do not. Not by any close stretch of the imagination. I mean, I, I think probably uh, would be... Uh, getting my my master's degree from uh, Real Madrid, right? So Real mm-hmm. Madrid actually FC sponsors a uh, uh, a master's degree at a university in Spain. It's called Universidad de uh, Europa de, de Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people just call it the Real Madrid International School, mm-hmm. uh, and it's essentially funded. Program is put together by Real Madrid, and then all of our classes uh, are held uh, in in Madrid, and so doing that. Uh, finishing that, that master's degree and then being able to to graduate our graduation ceremony was held on on the field at the at the Bernabéu at Santiago Bernabéu. Oh wow,
1: that's amazing! Uh,
2: we had uh, obviously the, the the chairman of, of Real Madrid there handing out the degrees and and leading our graduation chat, and then uh, commencement address was by the head of of FIFA. Oh wow. Uh, Infantino so it was great you know even my my family was there with me my old college coach was there with me he has a a house up in the hills mm-hmm. right outside of madrid and so he came down to uh ceremony as well and and just seeing my wife and my daughter be there and and just being able to 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 take in that that part of that journey because it's been a long time coming and something I'd worked really hard for. That was, that was probably in mean, 2020, I would say about 2016 I completed it.
1: Oh, wow. So that was, that was pretty recent.
2: It's, it's recent. I mean, for a long time, I had, it considered uh, – I was a very good student. Parents wanted me. My mother, in particular, wanted me to become a high school principal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, when I finished, I was finished with a, an undergraduate degree in history, which is, uh, and I love history, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't want to do uh, – uh, uh, a master's degree in history. And then I struggled for a long time, just trying to figure out what exactly, I mean, to me, it was a a big investment, something I had to pay for myself. And so I wanted to make sure that the degree, uh, the master's degree that I did was something that would really make sense Mm -hmm. for me and something that i would be really passionate about doing. And when that came about, uh, I actually did it. So it's, it's a a master's it's an MBA in sports administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, it, to me, it was a, a, an opportunity to just go in a different direction with, with some of the things that, that that I was feeling at that moment in time. So it was great.
1: Yeah. And obviously, you know, for everyone that's listening, you're also the coach at Kalamazoo College for the men's soccer team. So yeah. I, I can only imagine that a degree goes directly hand in hand with what you're doing there. I think also I know Tom Cole and he went to the same university as well, right?
2: Well, funny enough, right? So Tommy, if you, you uh, I'm not sure if you know, Tommy played for me in high school.
1: Oh, I did not know that.
2: Yeah, I was Tommy's coach in high school. Uh, and then uh, we sent Tommy off to WMU at Western Michigan on, on uh, a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy stayed for a while, didn't really enjoy that experience. And so he went off to transit and went to Loras. Mm-hmm. And then after... Uh, Tommy was, was graduated. He came back, he did his undergrad, came back. He started working for us at K as a, as a, as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And then, you no, know, he was looking to do his masters. And, and so I recommended that approach to him. We'd already sent one other person ahead of him, another player who had played for me at high school, who also came to K. Uh, we sent him first. Uh, so he did it and he came back and then Tommy went after, mm-hmm. uh, Funny enough, those both those players, so Tommy, Tom Cole, and, and Sean Chikudi, both played for me at, at Pioneer, uh, <laughs> played for me at, at K as well, and they were, were desperate to stay in the game and have their contribution in the game, so when that, that program came along, they went first, and after they completed it, I went after.
1: Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, so, for everyone that's listening, I, I personally am aware of where um, Trinidad is, however... I feel like there's a lot of people that don't understand where it is exactly in relation to its most nearby continent. Can you explain that to everyone?
2: Yeah, so uh, Trinidad, that if if you follow, I always try to to talk folks right. If if you follow, uh, just the natural you follow, come down the eastern seaboard of the United States of America, make your way all the way down south, Florida. You get out to Key West, and then you follow in the natural chain of islands that that was start from there. In terms of of Cuba, in terms of uh the bahamas chain of islands jamaica mm-hmm. and you work your way all the way down the chain of islands trinidad is the very last island at the bottom of that chain and right at the bottom of that chain trinidad sits right on top of the south american continent literally uh uh we can see venezuela so venezuela is closest to us we can see venezuela from from our, uh, our northern coast quite oh, easily wow. on a clear day it's, it's very very close
1: wow I, I actually did not even know it was that close do you think it being that close to South America has shaped not only, you know, we obviously talk a lot about football because we're so heavily involved in the sport. However, as an individual, how much do you think that shaped you being near South America?
2: Uh, i tell you what, though, what it does in terms of ideas and and for for everybody listening, obviously when I say football, I'm I'm talking about soccer. Yeah yeah but,
1: for
0: sure <laughs>
2: uh it, it it shaped us in a great deal uh, in a, in a, in in a really kind of philosophical way because how how we approached the game mm-hmm. so if and you think about the history of trinidad trinidad itself was colonized by the british right and so mm-hmm. we, we 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 got the game from the british but we never really strove to play like the british right mm-hmm. uh, typical british teams uh were very direct uh uh, and it was, so we were more closely aligned to South American teams, Brazil in particular. Uh, and and so we we always kind of favored the more beautiful possession type game that emphasized individual skill and creativity. That, that For me growing up, that's what I grew up seeing. That That's the thing that was celebrated the most. I mean, you could be a fantastic defender back in those days at Trinidad. I mean, world class and everybody politely clapped, but you'd be that guy that... It could be that other guy that would flick a ball over somebody's head, push it through his legs, and crank a shot off the bar and everybody would love you. <laughs> so football was, was very much about about entertainment, the ability yeah. to entertain people uh, with that level of passion. And so I think that, that, that's a reflection of that South American mentality, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. I can definitely see it, too. Having played you know, against you when I was at Albion, I mean, and obviously playing against all your guys in indoor here, I, mean, I can definitely see that's the the style of play that you not only have instilled in your players, but I can tell that that's the type of player that you really seek out because, I mean, your your team's top to bottom are always, in terms of possession, top-notch.
2: Yeah, well, you know what? It's, 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 I think all coaches build teams in, in, in their image, right? Exactly. Uh, and it's something, obviously, when I get out on on, on the road and I'm looking for players, it's, it's, it's one of the things that we do prioritize mm-hmm. is players who are very comfortable with the ball the defeat, players that are comfortable in making decisions with the ball of defeat, and players that have a special relationship with the ball in terms of their own individual mastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not to say there's not a, a beauty or a brilliance in, in, in somebody that plays football a different type of way. I think any successful team has to have a blending of these types. Mm-hmm. But by and large, I, I still would prefer a defender. I mean, who's hard-nosed and tough and rootless, but still, great quality on the ball because we want to maintain position we want to build out the back want to build to the midfield and i can't do that with a guy that just could only play one way and just launch the ball downfield
1: <laughs> yeah for sure um so real quick can you give me a background on and um, correct me if i pronounce this wrong but the merz tate explores
2: oh merz state yeah 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 merz state is is one of, of the best uh youth organizations that's 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 not for just African-American young women, but primarily for African-American young women like my daughter, who benefit from a legacy of uh, exposure to careers, exposure to opportunities, uh, exposure to travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so MERS State was founded by one of our local community leaders and organizers. Her name is is, uh, Sonia Hollins. Uh, She's an exceptional woman. And that she's she's really taken the time to mentor and guide and provide opportunities that that young black females just don't get, you know. And so she's taken them all over the world in some respects. I mean, my daughter's been to Hawaii with the group in the next coming year, Uh, COVID notwithstanding. They'll be able to go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've been to Japan have been to Rome. They've been to Italy. I mean, it's, it's it's just a tremendous amount of exposure that they have, not only in the traveling scene, but she also gets them in, in, in classes at colleges to start working on college credit. And they produce a, a newsletter. Uh, they go on field trips here in the U.S. They tour historically back college. I mean, they do some fantastic, fantastic things, man. And, and she's been the spearhead of that. It's something that She's very passionate about something that she conceived and founded, and my daughter really get a chance to just benefit from being around young women that are, are motivated, driven, mm-hmm. and hungry for, for personal success. So it's probably one of the single best organizations in, in all of Kalamazoo, and, and I wish quite a lot more people knew about it.
1: Is it only available to um, women from Kalamazoo?
2: I no, we we actually have young women in in the uh, the organization from Battle Creek. Uh, I know some young women will travel from as far as uh, Illinois sometime, and some oh, will wow. travel from as far as as uh, Ann Arbor as well to take part in in some of their their weekly meetings and 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 when they sit together in their strategizing sessions and things like that.
1: That's awesome. I think uh, to speak on the traveling portion that you were mentioning. And I think this will lead into the rest of our conversation quite well. Traveling is, in my opinion, the number one most important thing in terms of despite, like building and kind of reshaping and polishing your experience with culture.
0: And yeah, it, it's it just is. so
1: amazing. I mean, I don't know how much you know about, about my experience, but um, I spent time, I've been all over the world, but the longest period of time I've been out of the U.S. was when I was in China and I was working in Beijing And the amount of experience that you get and like, and I've talked about this on another podcast too, but it was like, yeah, also the amount of times you get put into just the worst situations and you have to deal with the adversity. It just, it changes everything about you. And so hearing that these women are getting that amazing experience early on in their life too, because a lot of people don't get the chance to experience that until, you know, they get on a whim when they're in their late twenties or thirties and they decide to do it. So it's really nice hearing that they're getting that exposure and, they're also doing it with like-minded individuals who are also trying to build their exposure levels. And, you know, they're doing it with adults too, who really care. I mean, that's amazing. yeah.
2: You know what is, 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 one of those things, right? There's, we always say that travel is, 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 the best, uh, kind of education a person could have in terms of, of broadening their, their own scope and, and mm-hmm. giving them a chance to introduce themselves to the rest of the world and the world to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right in, in that travel, and I'm not talking frivolous IG travel where you just go to sites and take pictures, but you never really <laughs> engage the culture. Right. right. I always say that when you travel, it's, it's an opportunity to put the the, the, the the camera down and really engage uh, the people, the place, the circumstances that you find yourself in because that's where true learning kind of occurs, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and, and so the idea that, and it's unfortunate, right? I think if you look across the board, Americans, even though we're probably the, the wealthiest people on the planet, wealthiest nation on the planet, also find us over probably some of the, the least traveled yeah, uh, a set of citizens on the planet. And I think when, when you, you have an opportunity to go out there and 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 challenge your own ideas, preconceptions, uh, beliefs, prejudices, all of these things, I think that travel really marks you in a way that, that could help you to to later on make a, a more fulfilling kind of contribution uh, to the world, right? Not only that, I mean, I think the exposure to, I mean, you take my myself, for instance. I mean, I've got friends literally all over the world, Turkey, Croatia, mm-hmm. Bosnia, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Qatar, mm-hmm. pretty much all over Africa, all over Latin America, and I mean, I could show up at any one of these kind of locations, call somebody up and say, "Listen, man, I ain't got a place to stay tonight. Can I stay with your family?" Yeah, exactly. And 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 it is. And for me, this it, it is nothing beats that. Mm. It's a real immersion in in the culture of a people. Yeah, when you you know, when you get a chance to to know uh, a people's song, uh, a people's writing, a people's art and painting, and what they feel represents them the most, then I think you get to the heart of, of what makes uh, uh, a culture great, what makes people great. And you really have a real opportunity to get to know them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: for sure. I think I can completely agree with you. I too have a, a lot of friends all over the world. And the moments that I've learned the most about the U S is actually when it's usually something controversial. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say that, but um, it's when something happens here and I obviously have my opinions being based here. And then I'll talk about it with them and it's, it's a completely different mindset and it's really interesting the, how they, the take that they get from that. And that's definitely like made me think about a lot of things. But the reason that I wanted to lead into travel was, you know, we've talked about this a little bit off air is black empowerment and how black empowerment is now, I don't want to say moving, but it is becoming bigger in the United States. And I really wanted to talk to you about this because Um, I've seen some of your social media, and I know you as a person, and I think you really represent black empowerment to the fullest. And I just wanted to get your fully unedited version of how you see black empowerment moving in the United States and its current state, along with where you think it's going.
2: Okay, I think probably the first question, before I even go into it, it, would be me asking you, what is it specifically do you mean by black empowerment?
1: So for me I think it's it's taking all boundaries out of the out of the question. So taking the boundaries of being Kenyan or Ghanaian or South African or just being a black statesman and really taking it down to the mixture of black empowerment is someone who feels oppressed due to the color of their skin and Predominantly focusing on people that originate from the continent of Africa. That is what I mean. And taking that that oppression and turning that into a powerful meaning to build a better community, to build a better relationship with those around you, and to try to, I guess, ignite that same flame in other people that are in that same situation as you. Is that a good explanation or question? I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I get what you 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 hinting at. Uh, I I would say this, though. I think it only seems like that now Mm -hmm. because of the type of media that's available to us, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But being old enough uh, and and certainly being a student of history, uh, I can tell you that these expressions have always existed, Mm -hmm. right? These expressions have always existed. I mean, I, I think... Like, I give you, uh, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, in the earliest of times, uh, people would talk about, i to say people, I talk about dominant culture, but when they talk about slavery, they would say, okay, yeah, Africans, South Africans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as if uh, collaboration uh, didn't happen in other instances of injustices at other people all across the planet, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not unique to us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when people say that, the idea that you get then is that, okay, wholesale Africans were involved in, in getting rid of a of, of certain segment of African society and sending them uh, across to, to European slave trade, right? That's not true. When, when, when you, you really, you understand history, and you find out that the vast majority of African peoples actually fought against the institution mm-hmm. of slavery. and They fought against it in Africa. They fought against it they, in, on slave ships they fought against it wherever they found themselves in the new world and they had various methods of fighting against it fighting against it didn't mean uh that you had to be nat turner or denmark vc or tucson Louverture. It, it could also be a revolutionary act in the sense that uh maybe we burn the crops maybe yeah. we burn the field maybe we burn the sugar cane we burn the cotton we burned whatever it was maybe we destroyed farm uh, uh farming implements and farming tools uh maybe in a very desperate sense i drowned my baby after having them as a black woman because i didn't want them to live a life of enslavement yeah right uh maybe it's this agitation that you hear for independence amongst african countries or, or black countries essentially all across the caribbean and essentially in latin america and eventually in africa as well mm-hmm. uh maybe that masquerades itself as as a resistance in terms of music because they say listen the first law that was passed here in the us in the new world was the banning of drums uh because europeans they they knew that africans used drums as a means of communication as well and so they wanted to remove that
0: mm-hmm.
2: right as as, as 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 being a tool that africans could use to kind of liberate themselves so they, they banned drums but as soon as they banned drums, we started. Uh, uh, we started in, in in various locales, either uh, beating on 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 bamboo, or we started beating on on biscuit tins, or we started beating on steel drums that we make. As as, as because when you think about it, steel drum is really a, is, is really the drum, yeah, is drum, right. Uh, when we didn't have, and you put that here in the American context when they under-resourced schools and we didn't have music and we didn't have things, we started beating on the desk. And Mm -hmm. when we're outside and say you can't beat on the desk anymore, then we started beatboxing. So it's always resistance. Yeah. Right? Always this element of of black empowerment. It's it's always there. You hear it in James Brown. You hear it in Marvin Gaye. You hear it in Nina Simone. You hear it in Mahalia Jackson. Mm -hmm. This undertone, this current of we shall overcome. We're going to be all right. Now we've got Twitter, Snap, IG, TikTok, all of the other things. And so now it's beginning to be a bit more, it's certainly more evident. It's mm-hmm. more prevalent in front of our faces. And the fact that we have this medium now has kind of reduced the size of the world. Uh, if I wanted to correspond with somebody, when I was a kid, I had to write a letter and I had to wait two or three weeks of that letter to get to them and then two or <laughs> yeah. three weeks of response. Now I could reach out to my buddies on WhatsApp in, in Kenya or in South Africa and get a response in thirty seconds, mm-hmm. right? So the, the globalization has made the world smaller, uh, and the kind of mass media and mass communication that we have at 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 our means at our hands have reduced the size of the world and has made these ideas more prevalent. But all of these ideas were always there.
1: So, do you think music is the is at the core of all of all movements in terms of black culture?
2: No, I I think black culture is, 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 I I don't think black culture is monolithic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's, it's very, uh, I think black people, I think music has always been very central to African culture, wherever we Mm -hmm. found ourselves, whether it's on the continent, whether it's here in the U.S., whether it's Caribbean or Latin America, uh, even Asia, I think music has always been at the core of that experience. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just one aspect of it. I think another aspect of that is just our spirituality. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's probably more central to everything else. But part of that is, is we have, I think it's harder to kind of separate those things. I, I think that's a fundamental part of, of our experiences that all of these things is kind of a, a holistic, integrated kind of approach that we've had where music is part of our, our spiritual life and our spiritual life is part of our music. Mm-hmm. And so is our art. Uh, and, and 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 that that drives our a sense of... of, of of anger towards injustice and i mean it's it's i don't think you could separate those things yeah
1: yeah that makes total sense what do you think is ask me a question if i don't word this correctly but what do you think is the biggest point in black empowerment that people don't understand or maybe even people misconstrue
2: (laughs) I, i think especially in a modern context is 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 you know, when you talk about black empowerment, it's, it's really just it's black people having the opportunity to be who they are. Right. Uh reclaim their identities and live on their own terms, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, when you see us uh when, when we when we landed in these shores, right? You landed in the New World in these shores, you land here, you you maybe came on a was border across on a boat. As an Ibo or Hausa or a Fulani or a Tika mm-hmm. or a Kromanti or Ashanti or kano or whatever you're bored here, but mm-hmm. the second you're bored here, it was a conscious decision to beat these identities out of you and get rid of it, and then substitute that identity with something that was not organic to who you are as a person. Yeah. So your yeah. language was stripped away, your culture was stripped away, your identity was stripped away. When you take away these things, these are a uh, uh, A a philosophical guidelines, right? a philosophical guideposts, navigational tools as to who you are as a person. It informs how you behave. It informs your values. It informs your principles. It informs your morals. And when you take all of these things away, I mean, it's, it's almost like you're living in a body that lacks a soul. Mm-hmm. that lacks an identity even as as as, as something as, as 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 simple as as a name right so somebody that's john smith black person i mean if you trace smith back to his origin you probably find out that that well might have belonged to his his belonged to the smith plantation right right but, yep. and so when you take away a person's name language culture and, uh, and identity uh you rob them of the very essence of being right mm-hmm. uh and when they have a chance to reclaim it as as we we have and we're still striving to reclaim it mm-hmm. but when you have a, an opportunity to reclaim it there's a certain pride that you feel when you understand the history of who you are as a person right and, and and when you feel that there's there's a liberation that comes to it and it's so overwhelming so powerful and at the same time so beautiful that you almost want to shout that from the rooftops and so you see tons of doing that, right? So other people might look at that and be like, man, why are you so extra? <laughs> right? But they'll they, they say that not understanding that nobody's robbed them of their culture and their history. And so right. they've never had, the, they, there's no need then for them to just go and, 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 and scream it from the mountaintops because they've always had that. Right. Yeah. So
1: uh, talking about screaming from the rooftops and really embracing that culture, especially once you realize, you know, where your origination is from, I wanna bring up the fact that you realized after you took the test, um, the DNA test that you have Hausa Fulani, right? Is that is that
2: correct? Fulani, yeah.
1: Yeah, and also
2: you speaking Chita, on Ubi. Oh sorry, I, yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. What were we saying? Yeah, so a number of different African identities. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh is is it's remarkable in one sense. I'm very happy for it. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm quite certain on on my family side is is there's also some Yoruba in there. Mm-hmm. uh and, and all of those are uh, identities that I feel very attached to. I, I think he, the difference for us obviously here and for black for, and for Africans on the continent is is that on the continent, you're still very much rooted in that identity. You're yeah. rooted in that that particular identity. But for us out in in in, in the new world, and when I say New World, I'm talking all of the Americas, Caribbean, all of these places. Right. The fact that Africa was taken from us and that many of us didn't know and still don't know where we came from the continent, it gives us the opportunity to claim the entire continent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? So on the, on the one hand, it's a disadvantage because you don't fundamentally understand it. But at the same time, I think there's a real beauty it because you could also connect our culture on the continent spiritually and psychically. Mm-hmm. Right? And so even though you may not understand where you your your people came from, uh, you still have this opportunity to travel a continent and then find one that fits. I mean, you could love the continent, but find a place that just fits and the people that fits and the culture that fits and, and resonates with you mm-hmm. in, in a very real sense and still partake in it and enjoy it.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, one of the biggest problems with black statesmen really embracing their roots in Africa is that. They don't they don't really connect with that culture like you were saying. But I also think that there's a fundamental issue on the fact that there needs to be, and I, I actually mentioned this on another podcast too, but I think there needs to be a sense of desire in place to discover where you're from because otherwise, you know if we are taught more, which I definitely believe we need to be taught more about the African continent in in our early studies especially, but i think if we are to be taught that and if we are to learn more about the continent itself it needs to be something that black individuals especially want to embrace if they're going to really hold on to their roots because it's like math i mean i learned you know a lot of math when i was younger and there's i didn't really feel engaged in learning it and in like really retaining that information and it is something that i just forgot because i wasn't invested into it however yeah the topics that I'm really into, you know, that's what I want to go into for, for my career because it just sticks with you. So I think that like in terms of finding your roots out, I think that there has to be that underlying like passion to just really understand who you are, who your friends are. Just, you know, I think that if we have that as not only as a country, but as a world, I think that we will find so much more happiness on the outside just because we'll be able to understand each and every person on a more individual level as we should already. Yeah, but I,
2: I tell you that, that everybody else has that though. Right, right. Right. Everybody else has that. Uh, the Chinese person that comes to the U S, uh, and lives here in the U S they don't relinquish. Uh, and obviously I'm using this as a very monolithic sense. China itself is a very big place with a lot of different identities, but, mm-hmm. uh, when they come here they they, they don't relinquish uh, for the most part their names. yeah, mm-hmm. many of them carry the same surnames that they've carried for for centuries and and that has an attachment to people, place, language, culture, mm-hmm. right uh, They don't relinquish their religions if if they're Buddhists or if they the the otherwise they they continue to practice those things here, and their children are steeped in that same. Uh, tradition with those same value systems and, and so forth. Uh, you see it clearly in the case of people that come from from uh, East Asia, from it, whether it's India or, or Pakistan or Bangladesh or even places like uh, in, in Asia like Singapore and Malaysia and so forth. When they, they come here, people partake in, the, in, in, I guess, the American experience mm-hmm. uh, and then become American citizens and live productive lives as that, but they don't relinquish that. Uh, that that part of them that's that's still Thai or, or Malay or Indian, on I mean, the clearest factor of that is sometimes when you see Indian weddings, man, of of, uh, young Indian Americans who've been born in America, they still have a full Indian wedding. Still, yeah. we we're, we're the only ones that's detached from that, but we're the only people that kind of underwent that in in recent modern history, where that that stripping of language, a stripping of culture. Something as simple as your name was taken from you, and yeah. so we, we've, like I said, that that we we've, we've had another culture imposed on us, another set of names, values, religions, all of these things imposed on us, and and sometimes you don't really understand what it is you're missing, unless you have somebody tell you, right? And I think that's the beauty of somebody like uh, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. right? So you look at Honorable Elijah Muhammad and and Malcolm X, the reason that was so compelling to people is for the first time people heard a message that woke them up. Mm -hmm. And it harkened to something that was mysterious, harkened to something that was beautiful about them, but it also tapped into a tradition that was there much earlier in the terms of Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Mm-hmm. Who's, who talked about a back to Africa movement and who yep. had pageants in Harlem and who instilled and it was the largest black organization ever with like mm-hmm. five million members. Yeah. Right. Across the black world. Uh, and, and, and again, his message is one that just when people heard it, they, they woke up for a time because it spoke to something that they knew was missing, that they didn't know was missing, but they felt that was missing, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you don't understand exactly what it is you, you don't have, but you know that it's not okay, and I'm not all right. And mm-hmm. then when you hear this message, and and, and you see the pageantry of things, and 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 you understand their philosophy, you say, "Man, yeah, this is this is who we are." You know, it's a wake up call. Uh, and so you're right. I think we have a responsibility. To, uh, to educate ourselves and, and, and I think if you could find because you can find yourself and your culture your people in history right in mathematics I mean if I was a teacher teaching mathematics to, to black kids right now uh, I, I won't be teaching it strictly as as they would have it in, in the schools I'll be talking about well what were the great things your ancestors were doing on the African continent that involved mathematics
0: mm-hmm. before
2: the arrival of the European and it's countless there's so many fantastic examples yep. from the Great Walls of Zimbabwe that are built, that are still standing. Yeah. Centuries later, it was built without cement uh, to probably the grandest exploration of that, which is, is is the pyramids, tons of which you would find in Nubia, Kush, which is modern day Sudan. And the, the clearest examples are the ones that you would find in Egypt. Right? Yeah. The The, the mathematics involved, the high science involved, the engineering involved. I mean... Truly, then you'd understand that your people just weren't sitting there uh waiting on on the the arrival of Europeans to come to give them a sense of identity and tell them who they were. Mm-hmm. You know? In
1: like the case of Maya Angelou and the O'Neills who repatriated back to the continent, mm-hmm. do you think that, that that the movement of repatriation has completely stopped, or do you think that it's kind of been just a slow process that's been ever building
2: no man actually it's exploded in recent years it exploded oh, really? it exploded so I, I was in ghana uh last december right and i mm-hmm. went to ghana ghana hosted something at the beginning of uh, 2019 so from the very beginning of 2019 january to 2019 to december of 2019 and it was called the year of return mm-hmm. right 2019 uh represented the 400 year uh, anniversary of Africans being taken forcibly from the mm-hmm. continent. And so Ghana, which is one of those main hubs, the Pan-African hubs, because of the history and legacy of Kwame Nkrumah, the first president, first prime minister, sorry, mm-hmm. of independent Ghana, and his linkages with, with Pan-Africanism here in the U.S. and in, in the U.K., uh, he established Ghana as as one of the the main hubs of pan-Africanism yeah and so there's always been a huge attraction for for black people living here in the new world going back and forth to uh Ghana and so Ghana formally uh created a year of return last year in honor of that and so Ghana had over a million visitors oh
0: wow yeah from I didn't know that black
2: folks from every part from Latin America from the U.S. From the Caribbean, going back to Ghana, and there were huge festivals, and seminars, and cultural things, and a lot of good food, a lot of good people, music, parties, and Ghana was just saying, "Listen, come back home and be involved in business, and settle here." And mm-hmm. many other African countries have adopted that 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 as well. And so, there's a huge section now, and I know quite a few, uh 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 uh, uh black folks who've left uh, the West and have returned to Africa. Oh, wow. Started businesses and built homes and started families. And Mm -hmm. I think, uh, especially in recent years, you've seen quite an explosion of it simply just due to, uh, some of the police violence that people Mm -hmm. have faced. Yeah. Uh, there's a brother now that I know, uh, who's traveled quite extensively. He he left a, a while ago. He was just tired. Yeah. He's saying, man, I was just tired of just, just having to get up and deal with stuff on a, on a day to day basis. Uh, And he just packed up and he went to Ghana. I know tons of people who've been doing that forever. And the numbers are only increasing. A huge movement.
1: Yeah, I know for me personally, it's definitely a huge goal in my life. And it has been since I went to uh, Cameroon to have just a sanctuary where I can go. And essentially, as we've been talking and reconnect and just completely reconnect for, you know, whether that is for months or years of my life or whether it's for a few weeks of my life, I just want to go and reconnect and build myself with the community and not go and try to build a community with myself. Does that make sense? Like not try to change anything. I just want to really be a part of something that has already been there. I want to, I really want to, you know, in a way assimilate to that culture and just be it just, just really feel like I'm part of that. And that's, that's always been a big goal since I went, but um, we're actually going to wrap this down a little bit. I am so thankful that we had this conversation. This has been eye opening on so many different levels. Um, so for that, I want to extend a huge thank you to you. No, and, my
2: pleasure, my pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you. you
1: very much. And I know that we'll see each other around pretty soon. So uh, you know, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll pick up some more conversations in the in the near future. But other than that, for everyone that's listening, make sure you guys check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Uncovered Podcast. TikTok is the same. Other than that, stay up with us. we got a few more episodes coming for you guys, and then we're going to go into Season 2, and that's Uncovered.
2: Somebody told me that this planet was small. We used to live in the same building on the same floor and never met before until I'm overseas on tour. And peep this Ethiopian queen from Philly taking classes abroad. She's studying film and photo flash focus record. Says she working